0: and definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all-new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Marissa Renee Lee is the author of Grief is Love, Living with Loss. I said that very upbeat when it's sad but anyway grief is love living with loss marissa is a called upon advocate writer and speaker on coping with grief her acclaimed debut grief is love unspools the story of her own grief journey and offers a compass to others navigating loss she is a rabble rouser of social healing former managing director of my brother's keeper alliance co-founder of the digital platform support all and founder of the pink agenda a national organization dedicated to raising money for breast cancer care, research, and awareness. She is a regular contributor to Glamour, Vogue, MSNBC, and CNN. She is a graduate of Harvard and an avid home cook. She lives with her husband, Matt, and their newborn son, Bennett, and their dog, Sadie. And by the way, for those of you listening, if you are hearing rain in the background of this recording, I'm very sorry, but I am now away on our author retreat, which I will still be when you hear this episode, and we are in a torrential rainstorm, so if you want to see what our whole team looks like and what it means to be part of this whole new Zibby Media Company and Zibby Books and all of that, go to my Instagram, at Zibi Owens. I am posting lots of videos of our two days together, and it's really fun. We are living the message of community and how important connectedness is to us in our journey Connecting to books, connecting to each other, and just take a look at Zibby Owens. Anyway, back to Marissa Renee Lee's episode. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Grief is Love.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this chat.
0: Me too. I feel like it's so long overdue. I've had, yeah. I, I don't know why it's been one of those things, but anyway, I'm delighted it's finally here.
2: Yay. You have obviously been busy with your books. I've been busy with my book. I'm glad we're finally sitting down. This will be Me great. too.
0: I feel like, well, I hate to say, I feel like I know you because so many people <laughs> say that to me and I'm like, oh, okay. But I feel like I know you <laughs> because <laughs> of your story and how open you were about your loss of your mom and the challenges that you went through and all the other pieces of your life, you know, I feel like you didn't just talk about the grief, but it was where the grief fit in the context of everything else you were going through, where you were in your life and just going back and forth to like when you actually lost your mom and where you were today. And oh my gosh, it was really wonderful and immersive and helpful. Thank you. So why don't you tell listeners a little more about it? And then I have like 18,000 passages. (laughs) So I'll just read a couple of quotes that I thought were
2: awesome. So this book was many many years in the making. I lost my mom in February of 2008 and I I knew she was going to die. You know, she had MS, she had stage 4 breast cancer, like I was not going to live in a fantasy about what was going to happen. And so I did what I do with most things. You know, I created a strategy, I had spreadsheets, I had lists. I was going to do whatever I could to help her transition out of this life and to prepare myself for her to not be around anymore and i thought that all of the reading and the research and my lists and conversations were going to be enough to make the grieving process and you know living with loss not easy but manageable right and then it actually happened and it was like i got run over by a truck and i was i was so like devastated but also just deeply disoriented. You know, like I had built my life anchored to this woman who had been sick since I was 13 years old. And all of a sudden, like that was taken away. Obviously, she wasn't around to be my mom in the way that I was familiar with anymore. And I also experienced a lot of disappointment in myself and shame because it was so hard. You know, like I was embarrassed by my grief. And then finally, one day after months of beating myself up and kind of gaslighting my experiences, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I wrote in my journal in August of 2008, I am going to write a book about grief that is going to help people understand what grief actually is. It's not going to be sad and depressing and it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. And so far we've checked two out of the three boxes. (laughs) Still waiting on the times. I don't know where they are. But it it took the loss of a pregnancy in 2019 to finally push me into writing this book. You know, if you had asked me... Before Matt and I lost our pregnancy, you know, how I was doing with my mom's death, you know, if I was over it, if I had moved on, so to speak, I would have said, Yeah, like I'm pretty good. Like I have a great life, love my husband, great work, whatever. I think I'm okay. And then the day that we actually had to deal with, or that I had to deal with the physical consequences of miscarriage. I will never forget just being curled up in a ball on our bathroom floor, like trying to fit myself onto the bath mat, too sick to even really have feelings. But all I wanted in that moment was my mom. And that continued to be the case for weeks and months as I processed and, you know, as Matt and I worked through our grief, both separately and together. And I realized then that like, no, I'm not over it. And you know what? Like, fuck getting over it. Like what does that even mean? Like how am I going to get over the fact that I had this woman as my mom, you know, with me for the first 25 years of my life and she's not here anymore. It's not like it's not like I'm going to forget she existed. Mm-hmm. And that led to an article I wrote for Glamour, Mother's Day weekend 2020, which was, you know, I'm not over it. I'm never going to get over it. I don't care what anybody thinks. Like I'm just going to figure out how to live my life honoring the loss of my mom and it went viral and that then led to the book deal and the book that you're now holding but it was it was definitely a process many years in the making and i'm just i'm just really grateful that it all came together as hard as it was to write
0: oh my gosh well i have now written f getting over it <laughs> on this thing. I love that. Sorry. I actually, no, I make these, um, we have this like little swag line that I never promote. So nobody knows it exists. <laughs> but anyway, I have a couple quotes from authors and I want to put that on. Yes. You know, grief is love. <laughs> just getting over it. I just it's like living with loss. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, so I, in fact, you know, m- perhaps your next Essay or something. I just love it. (laughs) By the way, I am so sorry for all that you went through with your mom and the miscarriage and
2: everything. How many weeks along were you, by the way? It was very early. Like it was only the first few weeks. And that, frankly, like just being the practical person who I am, who's also a very pro choice woman, I started out by feeling embarrassed for being so sad. And then I realized, and this is the thing about grief in general, like whether it is, the physical loss of a person or, you know, maybe a divorce or a serious illness that you're dealing with. It is about the loss of the expectations that you had for your life to go in a certain way. You know, the grief that I felt, it wasn't about the pregnancy itself. Like it was about what I had planned for my life as a mom, you know, with this child and all of the like, hope and love and everything that we poured into it. And then to have it not work out, it was just, it was just too much. And then, you know, also as like a type A person, I literally did everything you could imagine to create this life and then nothing. And I had a really hard time just wrapping my mind around the fact that sometimes in life, like effort does not align to outcome. Yep. And we just have to be okay with that. Yeah. Well, we don't have to be okay with it, but
0: <laughs> we have to uh, you know learn how to move on after it, yeah. happens, you know? I mean, I don't know. It's true, especially it's in hard. The child, child arena. The only thing that makes me feel better after all the the journey is like saying that it's like not in my hands, that it's there's some bigger yeah. you know, like the, I yeah. don't know what, but like I can't force it. And then I I'm like you because know, things didn't necessarily happen on the timetable I was interested in for my own child rearing experience, which I'm sure many women relate to. I mean, it's all fine now, but, you know, it's not how I wanted yeah. it at the time and, you know, whatever. But um, just saying, like, well, who am I to think that, like, it's all up to me, this like creating human life. Know. You know what I mean? Like I as if there's It would be
2: nice. But it would no. be nice. <laughs>
0: I, I know. And I am equally type A. I'm like type A plus. I, everything has to be like,
1: so, yes. um,
0: and by the way, I didn't, when I asked how far along you were, it's because I feel like, did I miss it in the book or did she not mention it in the book? But I felt like I wasn't sure. And not that it matters. It doesn't matter if it's a day or, you know, it just, it's just, I was just, Contextualizing like the image of you on the floor in the ball, you know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it was so it's gutting. It's
0: just terrible and gut wrenching, and it's great for you to talk about it because so many women do not talk about it. So anyway, and your mom too. I mean, the scene. I have to just. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but when your mom did pass away, I mean, that oh. scene itself was so. The way you wrote about it, I I literally like sat in my bed later, and it was just like felt almost the PTSD from the experience just oh. as a reader from it because of your reaction. And you it's so clear. Like now I look at the book cover and I think of that scene.
2: But, oh um, man, it was a hard
0: one to write. You did say, I'll just read this, this excerpt from it. You said... Because of my size, I had to use my entire body to hold her up. My arms wrapped around her. And in the shock of that moment, I still didn't think that was the moment. Then she started to seize. I felt her body shake so violently in my arms that I could no longer hold her. I laid her body on the floor. My life changed in that moment. Something inside me broke. It's a piece of me that I no longer expect to get back.
2: Oh. Yeah, it was... It was awful and crazy. And there are, you know, like that, that is one of the moments that like before writing this book, you know, most people didn't know the details of that day and getting to a place where you feel comfortable sharing those details about, and I mean, you know, you've written a memoir like about your life and like the hardest, worst moments and things that have happened to you. Like, it's just, it's, it's tough. That book required a lot of therapy. I bet. (laughs) A lot of therapy and a lot of me just like crying on the floor of this office. But are you glad? I mean, do you feel better now? So, well, let me tell you something that a friend said to me when I was writing the book. She's a teacher. She's brilliant and amazing. And I was just really, you know, deep in it. And writing a book about grief in the middle of a global pandemic, like there were just so many things about it that were challenging. And I was complaining about how hard it was. And she said, the thing that you have to remember is the things that are really hard in life also have the power to be some of the most transformative experiences that we have. And she said, you know, you get to decide what the transformation is. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, first of all, I'm so glad you're my friend. And (laughs) I'm going to make sure that like the transformation is overall a positive one, you know, that I learn things about myself and take this book writing process also as an opportunity to do more of my own healing. And so that's what I did. And I feel like I I am a healthier person emotionally today as a result. And I think I've developed more compassion and empathy, both for myself and for other people as a part of putting the book together. So yeah, it's been positive.
0: I know. I could feel you like almost forgiving yourself. Yeah. Dude, like you were like, in yes. the time, this is how I handled yes. everything. And now I see why. I wish I had
2: known. Yes. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Wow. It's amazing.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: I also, like, when I went through grief for the first big time when I lost my best friend, so many people... Called me, I remember in the in the months after, and we're like, it's y- y- okay, enough now you know like get back to life like this has gone on too long type of thing and for years i felt like what was wrong with the people telling me that like yes, i can't believe good. those people betrayed me but now like but then the more i learned about grief and everything it's like well there is such a thing as like delayed prolonged grief and this is yeah. normal and like it's also normal for people not to know that if they haven't experienced yes. it. but i loved this type a you know again You said, this is how you had, you said, I built meticulous spreadsheets. This is to prepare for your mother's loss. I built meticulous spreadsheets and to-do lists. I made friends with a local undertaker. I told my father to increase my mother's life insurance (laughs) policy. And then you go on to say, I had even preemptively built a notification email list for my friends to inform my broader social group when she died. I was as prepared as they come and completely delusional. I built a plan (laughs) with a lot of help that ensured my mother died on her terms and had a badass funeral. I was ready, but I wasn't.
2: (laughs) I mean that, yeah, that, that was me in my early twenties thinking like I could project manage death and grief. And it turns out you can't. And I am all for people. If they have time preparing for the logistics around death, like, yes, do that for sure. But there's no, there's truly nothing I think that can prepare you for the shock That comes when someone who's yours, you know, your best friend, your spouse, your parent, like, it's life changing. And I think, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Yes.
0: I also feel like this book does such a good job of of what it's like at work when you are grieving. Because oh, that God. is, anyway, you mentioned you know, several times about you, you had this big job on Wall Street and blah, blah, blah. And this passage was really great too. and sorry to keep quoting. there were so, I mean, I, 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 I can do this all the time.
2: It makes me happy. You
0: said, my grief had become too much to bear as I finally came to understand that crying alone in churches and bathrooms during my lunch breaks wasn't working. I was silently carrying grief everywhere with me and it wasn't manageable. My grief went back and forth to work with me. It was chugging along on the back end of every deadline, whispering, to me, while in important client meetings, and sat beside me as I laughed along at drinks with my coworkers at happy hours. I was keeping on at my
2: own expense, hundred percent. And what I—I I don't think it ended up making it into the book, but I was back at work two weeks after we buried my mom. You know that felt like an, you know an appropriate sort of adult way to go about things, and so. I I could manage somehow, you know, no matter how little sleep I got to like get myself out of bed, showered, dressed out the house every morning. And then there was something about climbing the stairs to leave the subway on wall street to like walk the two blocks, to my office, like every time I started to leave the subway, like that is the moment when It hit me, you know, as I'm walking toward, I worked at Brown Brothers Harriman at the time, like big building on Broadway down there. I realized like, oh my God, like like life is going on, but she's not in it. And I would start having these debilitating panic attacks and I could manage to get in the door, get in the elevator, take it down to the basement. And they had a training center in the basement at the time. And I would hide down there every morning for months, having these horrible panic attacks. And when I would start to come out of it, I would email my girlfriend who sat next to me, of course, the only other girl on the banking platform. And she would bring me a latte, a Xanax from my desk drawer and a cookie. And like, that is literally how I started my workday for months as though it was nothing. You know, I would redo my makeup in the bathroom downstairs, come up and still be within like five minutes of our normal start time for the workday. Like It was... It was insane. And like, I didn't bother besides my girlfriend, Alexa, like I didn't tell people that that's how I was living. I was just like, well, this is weird. Like I thought this wasn't going to be that bad. Like it was crazy. It was crazy. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of self-forgiveness that I had to do and just a lot of wrapping my mind around how hard that period of time was.
0: That's like a soul crushing image to think of you like that, to think of the people who are going through that now. Who don't know that it's that other people have done it. Like that's why your book has to find all the right people, you know? Oh, and then the same thing with the pregnancy. You said, as the classic black female striver who had actually climbed her way to success and made my family proud by attending a good school, working on Wall Street and in the White House, and marrying a wonderful man, I had convinced myself that I could have and do it all, maybe not all at once, but as long as I worked hard, I would ultimately get what I wanted in life. Why shouldn't I? I did everything in my power <laughs> to ensure this pregnancy came to fast. I felt I had earned that baby. I felt entitled to that baby. I had a very specific set of plans for myself as a mother. I believed in my bones." that I was meant to be a mom. I had worked so hard to bring that life into the world. And then I was left with a failure and yet another year would pass without my child. And then, and you said, I didn't have a backup plan. It was once again, the loss of my identity, plus the loss of physical health. It was a grief like no other. Yeah, I'm sorry. Now I'm just bad. like,
2: let me rub the hardest days yeah. of <laughs> no, your life okay. in your face
0: in this It's okay, this is day. what I do.
2: No, I mean, it was, it was, it was brutal. And there is something about, pregnancy loss and I texted one of my girlfriends who's been through it a bunch you know I just felt like such a failure and uh, you know if I'm being honest like failure hadn't been a big part of my life up until that point you know like I was the hardworking overachiever kid who did all the things in high school and went to Harvard and then helped take care of a dying mom while working on wall street and then went to work for Barack Obama, you know, and then, and then, and then. So like for me to have something that like, I really believed was meant to be mine and that I knew I worked hard to get and then to have it not work out. Like I was just like, I was confused. I couldn't, I like couldn't understand what happened. I was confused and depressed and just, I just felt like the biggest failure in the world. I feel terrible.
0: I, you know, it's like, cause I totally get it. I totally understand. And yeah, if only that's the way it worked. Right. Yeah. You also wrote later how you were not thinking about extending grace to anyone two days after your mother died mm. and how it, grief also affects friendships. It's
2: huge, you know.
0: I know. I know. And like the people who really show up sometimes are the ones you don't expect and you'll yep. never forget. And the ones maybe you thought you could count on, then maybe you can't. And like so much in life and not to be woo-woo or hokey or whatever, but it's like often people's reactions have so much more to say about who they are than totally. anything going on with you, whether 100%. it's death, divorce, anything like people's reactions, yep. are just a, they're like a litmus test. It's almost like the best way. <laughs> you should just go around being like, I'm getting a divorce and then
2: you will find out right away what's going
0: on with your <laughs> friends' marriages. But it's similar with like with loss, it's, right? it's true.
2: It's, it's a yeah. in a way. Yeah. And you know, I was obviously really young when my mom died. So like I was the first in my friend group to have to go through something like that and to have to try and navigate it. And yet I mean, people stepped up for me in so many amazing ways. And I get the question in pretty much every interview, like, what do I do if someone I care about is grieving? Like, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to ask you. Well, I'm going to tell everybody anyway, <laughs> because it's so important to me. And I know you're going to agree with me. First of all, if, if somebody just lost someone that is like one of their most important people in the world pretty much nothing you say is going to make them feel better because like the devastation is that deep. So people need to stop getting hung up on the like, what do I say? There's a chance you might say something stupid. It's not the end of the world. What matters the most, I believe, is doing something. Mm -hmm. Like someone has just had the worst thing in their life happen to them. They need help. Like they need practical help. They need help that might cheer them up down the road. So figure out what you can do for them, whether it's sending a thoughtful gift or, you know, dropping off a meal or committing to picking their kids up from summer camp, you know, whatever it is, do something. Because like you said, like you never forget those people who stepped up and like really supported you when you were going through it. And so that's, that's always my thing to everybody, like figure out something useful to do and just do it. Don't ask, what can I do for you? Or what do you need? They don't, they don't know
0: they're too sad. It's true. It's so true. I think food is always good when we uh, Same. when we got back from when my husband lost his mom, a friend of his, well a friend of ours now. Not only had food, but had it delivered from a local restaurant, like party food style. Like there were only three of stuff. us. It was Kyle, yeah. his sister, and me. And she sent us food for, I don't know, a hundred people. And we ate it for weeks. Yes. <laughs> Not weeks, but yes. But I'll never forget that. That we came home and we didn't have to think about food and she had it all there and
2: ready to go. Yes.
0: Yes, the little things. It's the little things. And you're like, wow. And like his his partners at work every day for a week sent us another thing of food from
2: Gold Yeah. Like That's like that stuff makes a difference. You know, when we, one of my favorite gifts that I've received in grief times came after we lost our pregnancy. One of my girlfriends, same one that would rescue me with the Xanax every morning at work. She sent a box of gourmet cheeses from Murray's Cheese Shop in the West Village because it's one of my favorite places on earth. So like, Technically impractical, but she knew I wasn't going to be up for big meals. But I could snack on cheese and crackers all day long and like cry. So yeah, just just do something, people, please. Yeah,
0: because of that woman who did that for me, the next friend I had who lost someone, I just did like an Uber Eats, and I was like, I'm just getting them like a whole meal. Yes. I'm not like preparing a casserole, you know. I'm like, yes. I'm like, if you are home, expect this delivery. Don't write me back. <laughs> yes, so.
2: that's that's exactly the way to do it.
0: Wait, tell me also about your business because you were talking about moving. <laughs> you're moving cities, you're pro- oh, promoting so a book so and you're running a
2: business. Yeah. yeah. So I run a small consulting firm, primarily focuses on strategy operations and some partnerships work mostly for philanthropists. So big foundations, some nonprofits, and then I do some private sector clients, but it's, it's mostly philanthropy and, you know, political organizations, folks in the social sector, essentially leveraging all the things I did in the white house to help people run and grow organizations. But yeah, it's, it's busy. Cause that's, I have that full-time job and then, you know, promoting a book is a full-time job and then an 11 month old. So it's, it's been a time over here. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> is there anything you do
2: that helps you feel more sane? Yes. One thing I have started doing, just checking in on my emotional health, like every night when I get into bed, I just ask myself, like, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? You know, is there anything you need that maybe you can incorporate in your day tomorrow to make life a little bit less crazy? I'm also looking at my Peloton bike right now. I'm a big fitness person and I've been trying to write pretty much every day, not for anybody else, but just processing, you know, getting things out, figuring out what i might want to do for the next book you know figuring out mom's stuff that i'm still learning and trying to work through so yeah, those are those are some of my big ones. Yeah, I look at my Peloton bike too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look for you. I'm going to add you. I'll invite you to one of my workouts. No, um, then totally you'll see addicted. that it's
0: been way too long that I, <laughs> I have no excuse. None. I, it's like, oh, it's just terrible. Okay, I will ask what advice you have for aspiring authors.
2: If you believe that you have a story to tell, start writing. You know, it's, it's a really hard, and you've highlighted this a bit, it's a really hard industry to navigate as a newcomer. And I feel like there've been a lot of pieces out about how hard it is and how hard it is specifically to sell a book and to really get, you know, the traction you need for a book to be quote-unquote successful. But I just want to encourage people, like, if you if you really believe that you have a story that needs to be shared, to start working on it and see what happens and see where it goes. And, you know, if you're not ready to write the whole thing, it, it took me over a decade to put this book together. But in the meantime, I wrote shorter pieces about grief and infertility and loss. And so put yourself out there. Like there you're not, if you don't start, you're never going to finish. So I'm all about just getting writing and seeing where it takes you.
0: This gave me such a good idea because when you said that you still haven't gotten on the bestseller list, I've been thinking about that this whole conversation and I'm like, what is it that, you know, it's so, it's almost impossible to get on the New York Times bestseller list. I but know. wouldn't it be neat to see, like I would like to see of all the people who like listen to the podcast or in the sort of Moms in Time to universe in some way, like I would like to have my own bestseller list, you know? Yes. Like, but yes. have some way of tracking it. Because yes, it's not like 100%. everyone in the world, right? It's like yeah. in this select group of, you know, people who really love to read,
2: right? Yeah, Whatever. Yes. I, I love that. No, I love that. And I mean, you you know, it's the whole New York Times thing is very opaque and no one can give you a straight right. answer of like exactly how it works or anything. I am grateful that people seem to be enjoying the book and that it's helping people because that's what I wrote it for. So... The New York Times will have to wait for the next book, I guess. They'll be waiting. Or
0: we'll have a new bestseller list. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. yes. Marissa, thank you so much. Thanks for the chat. Thank you for Thanks having for, me. Uh, being so open and sharing and allowing others to connect with you. So, of awesome. course. Thank you. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.